the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. I hope that's the case um good golly good golly uh let's take a look at some of the ideas that are out there today money investing and more don't be afraid to contact me rob at robblack.com stocks advanced today out of the market open um the dow hit an all-time high on friday it opened at an all-time high this morning. Where do we go with that, right? Do we want the Dow at an all-time high? Do we care? Or do we want the S&P 500, more broadly owned index, or if you, are you more growthy and you're going after the NASDAQ? There's you know, different angles out there. Some of the top stories today, AstraZeneca continues to press for its case on its takeover bid. Uh, well, Pfizer's pressing its case for its takeover bid on AstraZeneca, saying that jobs would remain in the U.K. Pfizer also posted a video on its website saying large transactions such as this one don't disrupt drug research, even though we also know that 27% of corporate America right now is coming back on R&D because maybe they're just running out of ideas. Pinnacle Foods, Hillshire Brands. Hillshire Brands is acquiring Pinnacle in a $6.6 billion cash and stock deal. It's an 18% premium over Friday's close on Friday. Pinnacle does a lot of generic foods. Pandora got upgraded to buy from neutral, basically on the ad prospects and the fact that Apple's executing poorly in its iTunes radio report uh, product, and maybe Apple buys Pandora. Apple, you know, bought Beats. We learned Thursday of last week. A lot of people saying out of character. I think it's totally kind of in character in a funny way. They want to stay relevant. And kids' tastes and shifts change pretty aggressively and pretty dramatically. 
the guy who was running Beats is a high-end industrial designer. Him and Dr. Dre appeal to younger people. And for Apple to stay a product company, they need the young kids buying the product, not necessarily the old. Now, again, is it out of character in what Apple's done in the past? Yeah. But for them to get into a brand, not the worst thing in the world, in my opinion. Um, other stories out there, 21st Century Fox is in talks with fellow Rupert, Rupert Murdoch company. Uh, British Sky Broadcasting about buying British B Sky B's pay TV properties in Germany and Italy. Eh, that doesn't mean a lot to non-Americans. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, it doesn't mean a lot to Americans who don't travel a lot. But basically, you're talking about B Sky B, kind of a Comcast of the world, or Comcast of the places outside the United States. Other stories to note, General Motors. Uh, they're embattled right now. And that means they're basically you know, trying to do what they can to keep their brand name out there. They've had just way too many recalls, right? Um, they've been ranked as the worst automaker in a new survey. The worst automaker. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily anything to you who's driving right now. You're like, I like my GM. I paid $20,000 for it. It means something to parents. It means something to kids who hear, oh, GM's having a recall, and they'll never buy a GM again. For instance, when I grew up, you know, American cars were a joke, and there were phrases like, you know, Ford found on road dead that stopped me from ever buying a Ford. Was that the reason? It, it probably was, strangely enough. SunTrust Robinson Humphrey, big analyst group, they upgraded Twitter to buy from neutral. Twitter's had just an awful 2014. Small caps are outperforming. Ukraine's region in the news today, as it has been a lot of weekends. Um, there are a couple of regions voted in favor of dependence or independence. It's no one really believes what's going on. Like Putin says, "Hey, you know, we don't want to, we don't want you right now, so make sure you vote for independence." But in a couple months from now, he might say, "Hey, we want you. Make sure you vote that we take you over." That seems to be the way the media is interpreting everything. So small caps outperforming today is in the face of last week, where they massively underperformed. Small caps are an important indicator of U.S. economic activity within our borders. Small caps typically don't do business outside of our borders. Strength today in consumer discretionary healthcare, industrials, materials, weakness in consumer staples, energy, and utilities. Anything you want to talk about, drop me an email. Rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Um, some of the other, you know, angles, as I guess I like to refer to them, have to go back to... You know, the market being stay, true to its form, it's a little bit of a thrill ride. It's more cheers than tears. I don't know if you've ever been on a roller coaster and you started crying. At one point, you're so clack, 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 And it starts to hit that peak, and it's you know it's you're getting ready for that thrill ride down, and you're, you're crying. You want off. And then once it happens, you're like having the time of your life. Same thing kind of going on with Wall Street at times. More cheers than jeers. 
or tiers. Um, merchant acquisitions. It's continuing to run at a pretty good clip. We have basically a richer currency at our disposal in the form of higher stock prices. So Hillshire Brands making a cash and stock offer for Pinnacle Foods, that's a positive. It's two companies, one company looking at another company saying, look, I think we see some value here. Allergen has rejected the buyout of Valiant Pharmaceuticals, saying it substantially undervalues the company. Kind of expected. Big week of economic reports. We get the retail sales. Is America spending? Of course we're spending something, but how much? We get producer price index, which is inflation data. We get industrial production, i.e., are we firing up the factories? To make furniture, to make cars, to make steel, are we firing up the factories? We also get housing starts. So we get a little bit of everything this week. Oh, also the consumer price index. I went out to dinner this weekend. Saw a steak for $44. And I've eaten the steak at this place. And it ain't a $44 steak. So I'm like, yeah, inflation, right? It might be a $30 steak. That typically sells for 35, but now it's up to 40 plus dollars for a piece of meat, for a piece of meat, for protein. I'm not being cheap. I'm saying, how many people have that kind of income for one meal? That's stunning. Um, I guess that's about all I have today. I think we could probably end the show right there. Thanks for listening to the show. It's been Rob Black and your money. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'll be back in 22 hours. No, no. (laughs) I can't pull that off. As much as I want to, I can't. So what's your opinion on Apple buying Beats for $3.2 billion in a currency that's run up, i.e. their stock, it kind of makes sense to me. Beats has the largest penetration of listening devices amongst teens. It's the you know the biggest brand by far, way outpacing you know Apple's earbuds and even Apple's headphones. Something to be said that you know when I was growing up, we'd save soup labels for our elementary schools, and ultimately we'd get Apple computers with you know the, the fundraising that we did. A lot of kids grew up having that Apple ecosystem, and they stayed true to it. So getting an ecosystem of listening, maybe Apple's not doing something so wrong. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find me online at robblack.com. We'll take a break here. Be right back.
Love with love. How you doing today? I think maybe I'm getting older because during the commercial break, I was talking to my producer, and he's the guy who gets the guys on the phone. He's the guy who gets the commercial. He helps put the music on air. I was like, you. So I'm. I think I'm more shocked than I originally said about a forty dollar steak. I once had a twenty five dollar chicken parm. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just paid twenty five dollars for a chicken parm. Restaurant costs are getting higher. You know, you see natural gas prices spike. You see rent spike, and you get the fact that they're not in the business of losing money. But it it really is at a point where you financially hurt your ability to get ahead in life. When you're eating a $40 steak or a $25 chicken parm, and you do the math, and you're like, I could have done that chicken parm at home for less than $4. But then again, you have to go to the store, you use gas, use your own natural gas, and you get it. Anyhow, worthy of thought, right? Worthy of thought. I'd love to hear, at what point are you done? Like, there's no way, no way I'm doing a $40 steak. What point are you done? You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Taking a look at the market numbers this morning. We have the SP 500 up 15, Dow up 102, the NASDAQ up 61. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, question for you. We talk about setting priorities to get to where you want to in your life, you know, enough money for retirement, enough money for a house, enough money for your kid's college, enough money for an emergency fund. But that's only step one. Step two has to be having a budget. A budget's not fun. A budget's not sexy. You know, most people live paycheck to paycheck, and they kind of hope that they have enough money in the last two, three, four days of the month and that they're not bouncing checks. Let's talk budgets. Well, yeah, and and let's talk the fact that, you know, people come in and – Everything runs off your budget. I mean, even your asset allocation, especially in retirement, um, your whole asset allocation, how much you have in cash, stocks, bonds, real estate, it's all driven on how much you're going to spend at a gross level in retirement from your income needs to pay to keep the lights on, entertainment, taxes, the healthcare costs. It's all run based on the budget. And a lot of people come in for a financial plan, right, without having done the work on their own. How much do you spend on a monthly basis? And you hear this on radio all the time. People are, they call in and they were asked, they're asked that question. They him and hon, they don't really know. So when you have a budget, it's kind of humiliating because, again, you start factoring in just strange concepts. Phil Mickelson, he was, got famous for basically saying California was too expensive for him, that his taxes, his 39% income tax, his 13% state income tax, that's, 52% right there. His 6% payroll tax. Oh my. He's like, when he's all said and done, he's like, I'm paying 62 to 63% of my income to taxes. And then you get people like me who say, you got to save 15% of your salary. So he's right there at 77% of his income goes out the door before he has anything to spend on coffee, cars, houses, his wife. <laughs> What's well, his marginal bracket? So first of all, if he's really at that rate, he needs to get a new advisor and a new CPA. <laughs> so, but it is it, it is it is hard because there's so many things you can do, especially when you're self-employed like yeah. like that guy is, um, to to shelter that. Um, you know the film, you know who Phil Mickelson. Yeah, the golfer. Right? Okay, right. lefty. Yeah, and he quickly apologized after he said all that. Um, 
look, the, the, the thing is, is that you've got, you can't do any financial planning until you get a handle on your spending until you, you really sit there and itemize what you do. And if you're wealthy, you don't tend to say, I'm only going to spend X number of dollars per month on eating out. You tend to just track it so that you know on a quarterly basis, are you above or below where you projected yourself to be on an annual basis? And, and that's part of your annual financial review, if not biannual review, is to say, what did I spend over the last six to 12 months versus what I projected myself to spend? Right. And there's so many tools out there. Um, our clients get a wealth management site that tracks all their investments, does all their projections. It also can track their spending, much like Mint.com um, can do. LearnVest is another LearnVest.com is another uh, place that has a tool like that that's had some good reviews. It's the first step before you hire a financial advisor. You really need to get a handle on your expenses because it might be your own eye opener to say, "Oh, I spend too much money in this area, and I could be saving that for retirement." Yeah, I spend too much money on restaurants. That's for sure. Yeah, and until you actually have software like Mint or you know, any sort of budgeting software. You can't really be honest with yourself. And again, I like the visual. When you see it and you're like, whoa, I spent $18,000 last year on restaurants. You're like, that's a lot of money. I could have eaten at home and saved a ton. Well, and it, it will also, based on your zip code and your region, it'll tell you how much other families are spending in those same categories. So you can get an idea. Are you way overboard? Are you in line with what the average person is doing? Anything else that we need to know about budgeting? Um, when it's longer-term budgeting and forecasting, again, it's being realistic about how you want life to be okay. and, and figuring those items in so you can make those decisions, as we talked about many times before. Is it Sometimes just working a couple of more years can allow you to achieve so many more of your goals at a more safe level in terms of how much money you have to live till age 100 versus retiring at a specific age. So if you're 50 years old and you're projecting outward to say, I still want to have this RV, I want to have this vacation home, I want to be able to remodel my house, setting those into your longer-term budget and cash flow will help you be realistic about your retirement date. Uh, and too many people are retiring early, or they retire, and then they come in for a plan after that, and it's a very painful conversation. And I've seen people literally in tears to, to, and tell them, you, you retired too soon. You should have seen me before you turned in your notice. It's pretty common. Yeah. Because there's kind of an arrogance of it. There's kind of a, I'm all powerful. Then you realize you're really not all that powerful and it really wasn't that much money. And it's tough to get rehired later in life. Especially in, yeah, there's a lot of age discrimination. Do you ever do anything tricky with your budget? Like, um, for instance, a lot of uh, businesses have toilet paper in the staff bathrooms. Do you ever like say, I'll save some money on my groceries and my toilet paper buying by just stopping off at work and grabbing some. <laughs> Those are tough times. I've been so guilty. I haven't done that. I do. I will take a ream of paper home for my home printer, but other than that. I remember in college, I don't think I ever paid for uh, toilet paper. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'm sticking to that story. And Lysol. You know how workplaces always have cans of Lysol laying around? Yeah. Anyhow. I'm Rob Black. That's CFP Chad Burton. He's a certified financial planner. He manages people with wealth. You can find out more about him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Monday through Fridays here on the Bay Area's business station, AM 1220 KDOW. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. We can talk about mergers, we can talk about investing, we can talk about retirement, talk about your love life. I'll tell you if you should keep them or dump them. 800-516-1220, get your calls in there. Oh, that's not the number. Got to get a new number this week, hopefully. We'll take a break. Be right back.
Morgan Stanley is doing something kind of interesting today. One of the most fascinating images from my childhood was the guillotine. I don't know why we teach this in elementary school. Do we really need to know that kings had their heads cut off in France? Or people did, or criminals did, or do we need to know any of that kind of thing? The guillotine, to a mind of someone who's between the age of 8 and 16, is a pretty dark and grisly image. As you get older, you're like, I don't want to die. But when you're younger, you're like, I don't want to have my head cut off. So Morgan Stanley is bringing out the guillotine on tablets today. And that's the image that I want you to walk away with. They're lowering their 2014 tablet growth forecast to 12% from 26%. That's more than a 50%. That's like what? They think slower tablet growth should help PC demand. Okay, that's interesting. The analyst from Morgan Stanley goes on to talk about tablets saying, you know, I was recently in Asia, and I'm blaming most of the weakness on increased penetration rates and lack of meaningful innovation. Few suppliers were able to communicate a credible argument for a growth reacceleration this year. However, Android appears to be faring better than iOS tablets on the back of lower price points. Longer-term suppliers expect larger screen tablets to further cannibalize traditional notebooks. It's a pretty big call. It actually helps the PC industry because tablets have a lower price point than, say, desktops or notebooks do. So after the iPad exploded out of the gates growing faster, the iPhone growing faster, perhaps, than any other consumer electronic device in history, people assumed that it was going to take over the world. Now pretty much what we're trying to say here, according to Morgan Stanley, is that if you got one, you probably don't need a new one. There's not, you know, a flatter screen. There's not, like, a tablet's a tablet at this point in time. So technological change is overrated in the short term, underrated in the long term. People see new technology products, and they think everything will change immediately. When in reality, it takes a while for new technology to change the world. So, worthy of note, long live the desktop. Or, it's not good to be the king if you're the tablet. So, just throwing it out there. I I think that's a, a pretty good call. You know, as a tablet owner, I'm not rushing out to get the newest tablet this year or last year's, because I got one two years ago, and it's, there's new technologies out there, but they're so slow to be integrated into our lives, I can, I can be patient on that one. GM's ranked the worst automaker by U.S. auto suppliers. And, again, that's not a title that you want if you're in the business of selling. Tesla's going to stop supplying batteries for Toyota with its own crossover in the works. 
Electric vehicle maker Tesla says it is going to stop supplying battery packs and motors for Toyota, which uses them in their electric RAV4. Toyota is expected in the current RAV4 EV model this year. Toyota doesn't break out sales of its electronic electric version, but it's fair to say it's small volume vehicle. Yet it's roughly the same power plant as Tesla's Model S. Uh, for half the cost. So that relationship souring. Tesla's working on its own crossover. The Model X, as it's known, has been delayed. But when it hits the markets, it should be fairly startling. You know, Tesla doesn't do things small. With more upward opening going doors for backseat passengers. So, we'll see. So, bubble or no bubble? Again, I like Mr. Bubble. Still like a bubble bath. That's something from childhood that hasn't gone away. Of course, I take far fewer of them. But still like a bubble bath. Something luxurious about it. So, four ways to spot a bubble. You know, a lot of people think the stock market's in a bubble tied towards cheap money has pushed the market higher. Not necessarily huge demand. The wisdom of the crowds, you know, they'll point to alphas, they'll point to betas, they'll use terms that like, ah, they'll use charts to go back to 1929. So there's a lot of history and there's a lot of technical terms to get you into that concept of listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Um, The South Sea bubble. Dutch tulip mania bubble. You know, the whole idea of madness of crowds. So the sheer insanity that will grip a stock market. So mania that just, you know, sometimes it's not just about a stock, but it's about a whole business model. The South Sea Company was a stock. It skyrocketed about eightfold in the first half of the year. And then it plunged more than 80% afterwards. It was echoed in mania for all sorts of, you know, other stocks going forward. So what causes bubbles? You know, there's no definitive guide for sure. You know, uncertainty. Can it go higher? Is the, the number one issue. Whether we're buying tulips, where people would sell a whole house to buy a tulip, or, you know, because if a tulip price were to double in a month, at that point in time, you would have two houses. So you got to know that, you know, that's the number one most important thing in a bubble. There's the uncertainty of, you can't really estimate where it's going to go. The South Sea Company was a shell company. It was buying up British government bonds and debt for equity swaps. The South Sea moniker was a legacy and it was irrelevant to the company's operations and the stock subscriptions. The South Sea company had bought up two tranches of British government bonds prior to the Great Bubble. This goes back to 1720. You know, another characteristic of a bubble is outsiders buying and insiders selling. So a company like, and I'll, I'll even say Tesla, 
$30 a stock and it runs to 200 right around 160 they issue a lot of debt. So they're selling debt. They're basically saying, we're going to sell some shares. We're going to raise some money. The insiders were selling while you were buying. Another big sign of a bubble. And again, you know, the insider selling. I know a lot of people are in the dot-com era, 1996 to 2001. We'll say 2001 was the end. We'll say 1996 was the start, maybe 94. But it really got frothy in 2000. It got frothy in 98, 99, 2000. The first dot-com, not the social media bubble. Um, I know a lot of people that bought beach houses. I know a lot of people today who are like companies, you know, I know a sales director at Salesforce who just left that company to work for another company that will come public in a year. He's basically jumping from stock options to stock options. He's not jumping from company to company, but the stock options have dried up at the first one. So some of the brain power and some of the, you know, the skill set's going to leave. The insiders are selling. They're looking for another buying opportunity. Leverage is always important in seeing how bubbles are created. So if you have to put down, like, the higher the leverage is in a scenario like a debt margin, margin's a scenario where you can borrow money against stocks, and it's all good as long as stocks are going higher. But the collateral that you're putting up is half of your stocks. So when it starts coming down and your equity levels go down, you have to cash out. And it, to me, margin is it, it's a bad thing. It's showing you, you know, that people really can't afford. In the case of the South Sea bubble, people are only putting down 10 to 20 percent of the purchase price. So that's big debt. You get the idea, right? Another bubble sign that can you know kind of make you laugh out loud is you know tied towards the marketing you know people wrote that are right well you know here's a good example barons wrote in 2000 like here's the dot-com companies that are going to run out of money and sure or, this was 99 and then the company started running out of money in 2000 and they did a list of 100 companies that are burning through cash. And people would still keep their money in it. Like, if there was major signs from the media, from financial journalism, that this is a really, really bad idea. These aren't business models. Pets.com is not a business model. Just because you have a sock puppet on the Super Bowl doesn't mean you're a business model. The Super Bowl had a commercial one year for E-Trade that had a monkey riding a rocket higher, basically implying that any monkey can make money in the stock market. Like, and they, that was their commercial to get business. Like, hey, monkeys, come over here. I don't know if we've ever had a day where people uh, have started to, uh, you know, acknowledge that we almost make fun of ourselves in our our media in, in an area of a bubble. Bubbles are dangerous in, from investor standpoints because ultimately it's it's public money chasing other people's winnings. So, if I win ten hands of blackjack in a row, are you really going to bet on me at the eleventh time? You shouldn't. 
With that said, be cautious. Try to see if you can see any of these signs when you're investing in anything. Like, real estate has record highs. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Big news last week was that Apple's in talks to buy Beats Electronics for $3.2 billion. A lot of people just can't figure out why. Um, headphones and the music, well, the music industry on a year-over-year basis, whether it was digital downloads of new singles or digital downloads of what's called a catalog, both down significantly, 5-plus percent. People seem to be going to the Pandoras and the Spotify's. Pandora gives you a radio-like experience. Spotify gives you a catalog of music that you want to find and and use. Beats has something kind of similar. So it's a Spotify play. And they're trying to congregate. They're trying to get you to, like, for instance, to say that you want to listen to dance music or that you want to listen to party music. Who are some of your favorite artists in this area? If you're exercising, it may be able to, you know, go for some more high momentum songs that are tied to your favorite artist. And you would be pleased with that in theory. So the whole getting data together for you, getting songs together for you for, based on data that you've used in the past, is part of the future. And I don't think Apple's in a bad position for doing this. I think they spent a lot of cash for a profitable company, which is cute. I think getting business executives and getting people who are basically 12 to 25 years old who use the products to you know now start using products that are tied towards Apple, even if they may still be tied towards Beats for the foreseeable future. We'll find out this week. Still no, Apple hasn't really come to the table and said, here's what we're doing and why. Motorola is going to announce a new Android smartphone on Tuesday. It will likely be a cheaper model with limited features. This is the first phone from Motorola since it was spun off from Google and joined Lenovo. Lenovo, obviously Chinese. And uh, just continuing to try to get market share in the U.S. is what China's all, you know, a lot of Chinese companies are playing. Alibaba is now getting board seats in Silicon Valley. Alibaba is buying small companies in Silicon Valley to, you know, again, try to figure out what we're doing with our technology and how they could be a part of selling it to the masses. Cisco's going to report earnings on Wednesday, and I could care less. Wow, Cisco feels like an old grandfather stock at this point in time for tech people. I'd rather talk about Salesforce.com or Zendesk. Zendesk is coming public on Thursday. They make customer service software. TrueCar, an online service that helps you find the best price on cars, will have its IPO on Friday. The FCC is going to go over net neutrality rules on Thursday. The proposal could have longstanding implications for the way content's delivered over the Internet. I don't know how I feel about this. And I guess that's why I'm pleased that people are debating it for me. 
Comcast owns a lot of cable. They spend a lot of money putting that cable in the ground. Some people think they have an unfair advantage because they don't have a lot of competition. They put the cable in the ground, and I can't come in and sell television. I have to put my own cable in the ground to sell television services. So Comcast owns my Internet connection because I have an Internet modem with Comcast. I'm not bragging or anything, but I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. I have my own Internet connection. I know, I know, at work and at home. So let's say I have an affinity for Hulu. I love Hulu. Woo-hoo, woo It's funny that I use affinity and not the word Xfinity. Comcast has a product called Xfinity where you can watch basically – it's kind of like a Hulu service, even bigger. So Comcast is trying to like protect its own turf. And let's say I, I like Hulu or I like Netflix. They could slow down the content that I'm getting from Hulu or Netflix. Or they could make Hulu or Netflix pay more money to get the same speeds that Xfinity will get. Just because they own the pipes that come into my house and they charge me for my internet, they could totally say, hey, look, Xfinity is a much faster service than your uh, needs. You'll never ever see that, you know, little logo that says uh, loading. Anyway, I thought this was kind of interesting. Small, teeny tiny little story. But again, it's showing you how things are changing aggressively. Senior citizens living in a retirement community in Chicago just want someone to talk to. Senior citizens are, you know, left behind a lot of times in our society. I don't want to do a Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle, and Silver Moon, Little Boy Blue, and The Man on the Moon. When you come home, Dad, I don't, you know, like, I don't want to talk about how our generations are, we're so busy, but we leave our senior citizens kind of behind, in my opinion. A lot of people do. So a community in Chicago is teaching English to people in Brazil through the internet. And I think that's kind of a beautiful thing. Using a video chatting tool, students are able to interact face-to-face with elderly Americans who might not have a lot of people to talk to. You can hear some of this if you just like search for it on YouTube. Obviously, teachers bond with students, talking family, talking hobbies. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's totally worth bringing up as uh, kind of one of those things that's helping our society technology in an odd, goofy kind of way. I've got an uncle who he used to go to prison and he'd bring like mail to prisoners. And these were hardcore lifers kind of thing. And he's the sweetest, most practical engineer you'll ever meet in your life. And you're like, why are you doing that? Anyway. I don't know if that's even worth bringing up. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. We'll take a break here. Be back in a couple minutes. I'm Rob Black. I'll be getting on my first plane. I'll see the veins of my city like they do in space But my head's filling up fast with the wicked games up in flames How can the... 
The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black, the money on Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, new ways of doing subtraction. I just learned a new way to subtract big numbers is now being taught to actually add the difference between the lower number and the higher number versus actually doing any subtraction at all. And it's like super easy. So we can talk about that. We can talk about I'm a little shocked today, to be quite honestly, honest with you, a little shocked. At, I was at a restaurant and, you know, reading through the menu, I saw a steak for $44. And this isn't a $44 steak restaurant. This is the type of place where the steak should probably be 25 to 30 at most. Like, it, it's not known as the best restaurant in town. I'm a little bit shocked by that, and I'm trying to figure out the story that I want to tell with it. $44, when you factor in tip, that's a $50 purchase. You need to save $166 a month in your 20s. To basically get to retirement in your 60s. It's not a lot of money. But when you look at the price of a, a steak dinner, it's like, whoa. There's a story now that millennials, people 18 to 25, and I think this all starts to tie together. And I can't quite put my, my thumb on it. And it's not as simple as Americans are becoming more frugal. Um, there's an angle out there that Millennials aren't willing to move. They're just not mobile. They just aren't bouncing from city to city. And I know one person, two people in particular, who are like, it's too expensive to move. And I'm like, you, could, you should move to a cheaper city. You know, many years ago, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast because it was time for me to, like, put in roots. It was time for me to stop growing business. It was time for me to settle down. It was time for me to find, you know, my, my next big challenge. You know, I remember selling all my furniture, giving stuff away. And now millennials just, they don't seem to do that. And I find that fascinating. So they're changing the mobility where you can go back, you know, 200 years in American history and go west, young man. You can go back in history and see like, hey, grapes wrath. Things are bad in your part of the world. There's a drought. Go west. Now people aren't really saying that. I can tell you that Oklahoma City has got one of the most robust job markets. Be like, I don't want to live in Oklahoma City. I, I can't afford to move. I've got a friend who's 
30-ish. Beautiful. And she's looking for a husband and is like, can't find a husband in, in the Bay Area. And she's beautiful and she's funny and she's smart. She's got a job. I think she has all of her original teeth. Can't find a husband. I'm like, move. They call Denver Minver. So there's one last angle that I want to like kind of throw out there. And again, I'm not trying to be cheap. I'm not trying to be frugal. I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to be like, start thinking about this stuff because it affects you. First time home buyers haven't been much help in the housing recovery. It's because young adults have stopped aspiring to be homeowners. Millennials are hurting the real estate market, and as a man who owns real estate, that scares the hell out of me. Baby boomers need Generation X to buy their homes, whether vacation homes or whatever. But they also need the healthy ecology that is the next subset, the millennials. So we'll loosely say Generation X is 35 to 50. We'll loosely say millennials are 18 to 35. Boomers are 50 plus. And boomers are retiring at a fast pace. So they're going to create a lot of job openings for the millennials. Young renters, those between 18 and 39, still are very likely to say that it's in their future plans to own a house. The vast majority still plan to own someday. About half plan to buy a home the next time they move. But they're not moving. Which ties back into this. Economic realities, as well as life decisions, are getting in the way. There are obstacles out there, repercussions from the you know, broader housing market. Absence of the younger buyers is one of the big reasons housing recovery hasn't been stronger. You know, it, the house that, that sold on my street should say, home for sale, no millennials want it. I don't. There's, I don't think there's one millennial on my street. And I need them. I need that young couple. Please move in, young couple. Let me corrupt you. No, no. Please move in, young couple, because my mother lives on a street that is just all retirees. They're not sending their kids to the school. That's, you know, a mile and a half from the house. Kids are out of school. That's not healthy. The attendance of that school is going to have to have more and more and more and more people bust in from further distances. So just something to think about. Absence of young adults from the housing market continues to put a dent in home ownership, which has dropped all the way down to 64.8% of Americans in the first quarter, down from 65% in the fourth quarter, as high as 69% back in 2004. So this is where the numbers start getting worrisome if they tick, 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 tick lower. We want homeownership. It is a piggy bank for people. We want homeownership. It is local pride. We want homeownership. It's community. So for people who are younger than 35, the rate of homeownership has dropped even more aggressively than for the overall American subset. It was as high as 43.6% back in 2004. It's now down to 36.2%. Now, keep in mind, the Bay Area is totally different than Iowa. In Iowa, you graduate high school, you marry your honey, your sugar, and uh, you settle down and make babies. It's not quite as career-driven as the Bay Area. 
I'm not saying anything negative about Iowa. I'm just saying there's a, this is a big country. So there's a shift in attitudes away from home ownership. You know, I know numerous people who are like, I'll never be able to afford a home. Change in attitudes, you know, are out there. People are more comfortable living with their mom and dads because now they're able to go out and party with their measly paycheck versus, you know, have a home and stay in. Unemployment rate for 18 to 29-year-olds in the United States is 9.1%. It rises to 15.5% if you include people who have given up looking for work. That's a pretty big number. And again, I know one person directly that I'm thinking about right now who he's got a job that he doesn't really want. And he was out of work and collecting unemployment for a long time. So he's part of that 15.5%. 29% of adults younger than 35 live with their parents. Shocking number. Right, yeah? Or not so much? Anyway, um, this is all about me because I'm so egocentric that I have to make it all about me. Um, my housing price, there's no way I'm going to get what I want for it. That's where I start the conversation. It doesn't mean that I end it there. I'd rather know up front that that's probably the truth. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Let's take a break here. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. You can find me online at robblack.com, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I don't know if you picked up where I'm going out with that argument. Something about purchasing, costs, refusals, and the ramifications. Find me online at robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Huh. Retirement. These are some of the things we're going to talk about. I want to talk a little bit about real estate agents a little bit later in the show as well. But for now, we see the SP 500 up 14, the Dow up 99, the NASDAQ up 59. Welcome in CFP Chad Burton. He's with NewFocusFinancial.com. That's NewFocusFinancial.com. I want to do a topic today with you, Chad, if you don't mind, on bonds. Stocks means you own a little piece of that corporation. Bonds means it's an IOU. Mm-hmm. There's different types of bonds. There's government bonds. There's corporate bonds. There's municipal bonds. Um, there's foreign market bonds. There's berry bonds. There's floating rate bonds. There's a lot of bonds. Yeah. I-bonds, zero-coupon bonds. What do we need to know about bonds, in your opinion? Wow, and that's that's a tough one because this is really the hardest area to manage right now, Rob. I mean, we're looking at historical low interest rates on bonds. We're looking at the Federal Reserve buying, you know, billions and trillions of dollars worth of bonds over the last couple of years. They were buying at the short end of the curve. Now they're going to be buying at the long end of the curve. So, what you need to know about bonds, I think, first and foremost, is is look at the holdings in your bond fund that you've been owning inside your 401ks, because a lot of people own bonds for a nice little income, right? 
right. and then for a cushion when the stock market drops. So the idea of having a balanced portfolio or bonds in it means that because bonds aren't doing as well as stocks when the stocks are rallying, they'll they'll have a cushion for the downside, and in the long run, they win. But a lot of bun, bonds, because the yields are so low, they've been having to buy preferred stocks and, and stocks yielding up at the 3 and 4% range to keep their income high. So a lot of people are, are in bonds right now, bond funds that are becoming closet stock funds, and I don't think they might realize the overall risk that's there. So you know, it's something that you, you do have to peel gains from. So let's let's look at the different types, right? right? You've got government. On the corporate side, you've got high-quality bonds, which are typically AAA or, well, let's see, AA rated and above, right? Right. Then you've got junk bonds and then convertible bonds. We bought a lot of convertible bonds and high-yield or junk bonds in 2009 in about May when right. they had dropped drastically. They were baby out with the bathwater. Then we had 20 or 30% returns on those funds. That's not normal. So when you get high returns on a certain area of bond funds, you really have to be careful about peeling off the growth. Um, also, you got to look at big price jumps, like tips, for example, have jumped drastically when we really don't have a lot of inflation yet. Um, so look for opportunities when, when things like tips or treasury inflation protected bonds, when they pull back 5 or 6%, that's when you're buying opportunities typically are. Which, again, we grew up, Chad, you and I both grew up at the same era, and we thought bonds were for old people. I feel bad for old people right now because interest rates are so low that bonds really aren't necessarily for them mm-hmm. because the bonds don't have the yield that it used to. So seniors can't put their money in the bank. They can't get money on CDs. It's too too low of rates. They, mm-hmm. The bonds, they have to increase their risk profile. And you don't really want to necessarily increase your risk profile with bonds because bonds are considered a little bit you know more consistent than stocks. Yeah, I mean, for the next couple of years, I can see why a 20 or 30-year-old would just simply dividend-paying stocks instead of bonds, because um, they can deal with the volatility. If the market has a big correction, they have time to either add more in after the correction or or save more in the long run. But older people, they can't really steer, you know, they have to stay the course. And, and when you're older and you're close to retirement, you need three years' worth of expenses in cash. I know your cash isn't earning anything, but don't put that cash to work in high-risk bond funds. You've got to have three years' worth of your portfolio drawn cash and then a balanced portfolio and make sure that the bond side of your balanced portfolio is diversified, uh, meaning you've got some governments, you've got some Ginnie Mays, a little bit of convertibles and corporates, but your duration, that's what you got to pay attention to. You don't want bonds that are that are really outside of the five- to seven-year range right now, in my opinion, because um, you know two years just aren't attractive. They don't give you much income. And going out longer than five to seven years in duration on bonds, the length of maturity, you're taking on too much long-term interest rate risk. I remember when I first got into the business, I, I, I was trying to study bonds and analyze bonds, and it's difficult. That's a totally different skill set than analyzing stocks. So I think it's it's key, important that seniors or wealthy people don't do their own bond work because it's not the same as stock work. It's it's a different art. Yeah, you know, when interest rates are really high and heading down, that's the time where you can just kind of no-brainer buy bonds directly and hold them till maturity. When we're in situations like this where it's unclear in the next two years where rates will kind of head, yeah. um, it's really helpful to get a good no-load fund, uh, bond fund manager. I like how that, you keep trying to say bonds, buns. Buns, German buns. I think we're just hearing way too much about that yeah, yeah. in the, the news lately. Bank. But I think in times like this where the, the clarity on where interest rates are moving, that's where having a bond manager is attractive. But I, I can tell you that if we go through a period where, let's say by 2015, rates are high, right. and it looks like they're leveling out or coming down, I'm going to sell all my bond funds and buy individual bonds and hold them to maturity. I'm an individual bond kind of guy. Now, let's do one last topic on bonds. 
when we were growing up, there was a theory that you should take your age, 100 minus your age, and that's how much you should have in bonds or in stocks versus bonds. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And then and they again, changed it to like 120 minus your age. I think it's it's garbage either way. Because it's garbage. What, what you're doing is when you're dollar cost averaging, when it makes sense is when you're adding to your portfolio every month because of your paycheck, right? Right. But in retirement, to reverse dollar cost average does not work. The reason why is because that means every month you're selling something when you withdraw your, your paycheck to live, you're selling something at a loss. Because if stocks are going up seven out of 10 years, usually bonds can be could be falling during that period of time, for example. So you're always selling something at a loss. So that's why you have to have safe money, a bond portfolio, a dividend-paying stock portfolio, and then your dividends and your bonds pay your safe money. Right. And then you rebalance and pull the gains off the table to uh, continue to keep your safe money at that three-year level. So you know, timing the market doesn't make a difference when you're younger. It does when you're older. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He's a certified financial planner, and he's at newfocusfinancial.com. Here's another story that's got me a little bit alarmed. California put $750 million in tax credits into retaining employers. So, you know, we've been talking this hour about millennials and how they're making me nervous on the uh, stock market. They're making me nervous on the real estate market. Now comes, you know, the fact that corporations are leaving California. You know, I don't know why California radio stations play the commercials of Governor Rick Perry from Texas. <laughs> Come to Texas. We're a great state to do business in. Cheaper than California. But radio stations will take money, right? You know that. I know that. So California is putting $750 million in credits trying to retain employers. Toyota's leaving California. Occidental Petroleum's leaving California. Those are tax dollars that are leaving California. Those are real estate um, property taxes leaving California. Those are sales taxes leaving California. There's going to be a reduction in the amount of sales tax a business pays on the purchase of equipment for manufacturing, food processing, biotech, and research. A California competes income tax credit that would invest in new jobs anywhere in the state. A new employment credit or income tax for boosting the number of jobs for veterans, public assistance recipients, or former, for former prisoners and others. This isn't even close to fighting what Texas is doing to California. But $750 million tax credit money going into the project anyway. We'll take a break. Be right back. I can finally say thank you, America. I've been waiting probably a whole career to say that out loud. But also, again, it, it ties into what's happening, and I don't kind of like the trend. Fox unveiled their schedule for the fall, and they're cutting back on American Idol to some weeks, just once a week. I love you, America. You have spoken. And you're basically saying, you know, this is basically karaoke for teenage kids. 
And there's nothing wrong with putting good-looking young teenage kids in TV. I'd prefer you do it the Disney way and, you know, high school comedies, yuck, 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 on the Disney Family Channel. Uh, But, yeah, kind of surreal in my opinion to um, see America finally doing the right thing. Now, again, there's so many good news, bad news stories today. It's killing me. It's killing me. It's killing me, I tell you. Here's one, and this is where success created failure, or success created problems. See if you're with me on this one or not. It's tied towards the price of hops. Now, I think everyone knows who listens to the show that I'll do a little bit of day drinking because I work basically 4 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's sunny outside. I enjoy a good beer. I'm kind of a beer snob. The last time I had Coors, I was probably at a high school party. Probably. Like, if I go to a party and all they're serving is Coors, I'm like, ah, I'm designated driver. Like, I just, I won't do it. I won't do it. We'll do it live. I won't do it. Um, so hops is going just crazy expensive right now. And there's a business lesson in this that I think we should all stop and go, okay, what is it? People like craft beers, and craft beers use up an enormous amount of hops, uh, more so than the typical beer. In the United States, where the craft beer movement is now a $14 billion industry, and like we heard CFP Chad Burton last week on the air say, you know, a lot of restaurants open and close, but breweries don't. And I, I got to thinking about that, I'm like, I can't think one brewery that's failed in the 15 years, roughly, that I've been in the Bay Area. Can't think of one. Like Marin Brewing's been around, Steelhead's been around. Like you start there, and you're like, they're not failing; they're thriving. So, specialist aromas, flavored hops. You know, seven to ten dollars a pound has been the big jump in the last five years. $7 for hops jumps to $10. And I talked earlier in the show how this weekend I saw on a menu a $44 steak. And I'm just, I'm offended by that. That someone could spend 50 bucks on protein. But maybe that's the new norm, right? Now, back in 2007, 2008, we saw hops this high when the whole industry was hit by a massive drought. Craft beers used between 4 to 10 times more hops than the average beer. So appetite for the new beers has pushed the total number of brewers to 2,768 in the United States. That's up 15%. Their craft brews now account for 8% of the total U.S. beer market. So craft brewing is like a pandemic that's spreading everywhere. Even China's got 1,000 craft brewers. So it's everywhere. You know, the various craft beers, the India Pale Ale, known for its strong hop flavors, dating back to the 19th century, IPAs do, um, they bring out a lot of distinctive flavors. So it's the demand for craft beer is hurting the microbrewers the most. Low level or low levels of hop inventories make it difficult for the small players to procure extra crops because they don't have forward contracts with growers. 
if Brewers New Beer is a sudden hit, they could find it basically impossible to cover the unexpected hop needs. I'd like to find out what's going on with Russian River. How that place is so popular and not expanding aggressively is beyond me. Just don't want to do it. So the next couple of years would be interesting on the brewery industry. And again, I say that with peace and love. Peace and love. Um, real estate agents. It's a lot like the mortgage industry to me. Like You don't need to have a college education to make big dollars. But it's also a wildly everyone's doing it kind of business. So the number of agents nationwide rose over 22% in 2012 versus the previous year. A 2013 National Association of Realtors member survey showed that agents' $34,000 median income reflected a level not seen since 2006. There's just so many of them. Most agents are hardworking professionals. Buyers and sellers may encounter some who, you know, only see the, I want the deal in the deal. I.e., they want the transaction. So buyers and sellers need to stand apart. And you really need to, like, figure out what an agent's going to do for you or not and what they won't tell you. One of the things they'll never tell you is you'll never get the chance to own your own dream house. You know, I think that's a way of saying, like, I waited a year and a half before buying my recent home. I wanted to get it right. Um, So it's not uncommon for two agents to dominate the sales in a particular neighborhood or residential development. Some agents say pocket listings have advantages for all concerned. A homeowner can ask a high price to test the market. Pocket listings make no sense to me. You've eliminated much of the market, and you're not saving the client any money. But it's out there. You'll never hear a real estate agent say, my commission isn't set in stone. A 6% fee split 50-50 between the buyer's agent and the seller's has long been considered the standard for full-service housing. Close to 80% of licensed agents work on a split commission basis. Commissions, in fact, are negotiable, and they should be negotiated. So my home, the homes on my street, they sell in two weeks or less. There's such demand. Why should I pay someone full price to market that? Well, if, they can, if they've got a pocket of realtors, if they've got a pocket of, of, of agents that they can talk to, mortgage and Say, hey, you know, we know this hot property's coming up. We sh- you should get all 50 of your people that you're working with who are looking because this one's going to go big. So commissions are not set in stone, but you have to un- see both sides of it. Some real estate agents will say things like, oh, I can get top dollar for your house when they can't get top dollar for your house. They're afraid to say your home's not worth what you think it's worth. Some agents won't take a listing from a seller who wants more than the market will bear. Other agents aren't so choosy, and that's the problem. So be cautious when working with realtors. It's Like I said, they differ like golden clay. Every industry differs like golden clay. I can tell you there's people in radio. I can tell you there's people in financial media. I can tell you there's people in the financial world. Some are great and, and really work for your best interest. Some are just in it for a transaction. You know, how old your house is, getting it upgraded and things like that. These are big decisions that you have to make.
a lot of people want to buy turnkey homes. So people want a house that's in move-in condition, but that doesn't mean that that's that you're not going to be able to you know get what you want. I myself, when it comes to buying homes, like I expect that I'm going to put in a new kitchen, that I don't want your old kitchen. So I wish that I hope you don't even upgrade your kitchen for me before I buy it, because I'd rather put in the one that I want. I won't live in a home, for instance, without natural gas. Just don't do it. Um, I would find the most successful agents in your area, on your street. Um, the data's out there. I wouldn't just work with anyone. I wouldn't work with a friend. So depending on, you know, if you're selling that, I'd, I'd find the person that, that sells the most in your community to start with. I would interview real estate agents. A good realtor will point out things that you won't notice. So a good real estate agent will tour, you know, the neighborhood, kind of see what's out there. We'll tour the neighborhood, kind of see if there's, you know, a bus line or a train line. Or, say, airplanes that fly overhead. Anyway. Start thinking about the way you deal with a real estate agent. You don't necessarily want the hottest, youngest, smartest one. In fact, I say you don't. I think you want the one with the most connections, who seems to have the most transactions. Again, that's not set in stone. But if they have a lot of listings and they're going fast, they probably know a lot of people, and they're calling their their sources saying, look, I got a really good one on a really good street. You might want to bring some uh, clientele out. So I'm not a fan of the old boys club, but I can see how it works. Anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Take a break here. Be right back. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black, doing the very best I can to bring you something kind of entertaining that has to do with the stock market, investing, retirement. I work in television as well as radio. I got an email from one of my producers in television during the commercial break. And it shows you, you know, some of the pros and cons of 
how we approach financial issues. He goes, Rob, I'm not sure where I should start. I don't even know if I need a financial planner, an accountant, or some other person. I have a 401k that hasn't changed the elections in eight years. Well, it actually has because our company got taken over by another company, and they changed the 401k plan. So I'm like, uh-oh. I married and have a child on the way. We don't know whether I should change my tax withholding. We inherited a moderate sum of money and have no idea how best to put that money to work while maintaining the safety net it's providing us. Right now, it's in a checking account. Well, in a checking account, it's actually not safety. It actually loses to inflation aggressively. So checking accounts pay no interest. So in the cost of money, you know, a steak, like I said, I remember when a high-end steak was $33, $35. Now high-end steak's $44. Your money has to keep up with that. You know, if you had your money in the stock market same five years where, you know, steak prices have gone up in the last five years, you're, you're up 180% on your money. So you could afford said steak. Who should I talk to to get a better grasp on my finances? Well, I could send him some information for sure. Um, and I will. Point being, though, is you got to get on it. Typically, people start getting on their finances when they have children. That could be too late because people are starting to have children later in life. And that's going to be a problem. So first things first, start with a budget. Start with a concept that you have goals. Your budget will say, okay, you just ate $50 steak. You saved no money this month, and yet you've had three you know, days of drinking and eating good food, which would more than be enough for your retirement. Stop doing it. You have to have goals. Goals are kind of interesting in my world. What your goals are when you're 18, they're going to change. So you need to update your financial plan goals every five years or so. I think you should write them down. I think not doing it allows you to go, ah, I'll get to it later. I've got a friend who's 31, and she wants to have a baby. She said to me, I would make a good mom. She was in a relationship that was going nowhere slowly, so she got out of it. And her goal should be to have a kid one day, probably the next five to ten years, before the eggs start going bad. Chance for a bad pregnancy, and when I say bad pregnancy, i, I got to be careful what I say because I'm not offending anyone, but uh, learning disabilities and physical disabilities, they start going up at age 40. It's a much bigger risk. So it's still not like dominant you know when you're not like if you don't do it by 40 you're it's all over but she needs to write those goals down because she's running out of time a kid's a lot of money and i know her lifestyle is to basically enjoy life to the fullest thailand venezuela mexico new york city all within like 14 months of each other and it's good. Get it out of your system now, right? That's what people will tell you. But if you don't write down that goal, and if you don't fund that goal, then you're going to say, whoa, this is much greater than I thought. A kid costs $250,000 from age 0 to 17 to raise, minimum. You could do it less if you were, like, in Nebraska. But then again, salaries are probably going to be a little less in Nebraska, right? So I guess where I'm going out with this is that 
you have to have goals. You have to write them down. You have to fund them with a budget. So if you want a million dollars in retirement, you have to save $166 a month in your 20s. And that should be part of your budget. The way I perceived college was, and this is a funny way of perceiving college, my first 166 goes to retirement, then beer, then books, then, like, you have to have some sort of priorities. And let's say you get married, and you're like, I love her so much, I want her to be the, the mother of my children, I want her to be a stay-at-home mom. Well, suddenly your your food budget goes up because it's one income covering two mouths, and then you have baby, and it's one income covering three mouths. So your budget should be dynamic. It, I guess what I'm getting at in this segment is you need to be a little more dynamic than you are, and you need to understand that things change, and things change fast. Um, I totally love that he reached out to me, and I'm going to totally help him because anyone who reaches out, I try to help. Um, sadly, some of my responses are like, kind of form letters at this point in time. But that shows you also that it's kind of not that hard. I hate people in this industry who scare you. I find that kind of vile. It's so unfortunate. I don't think that we need to be an industry that is like, I'm smarter than you. I know one of my personal friends wanted to work with a guy because he has an office in San Francisco. I'm like, that's the reason you don't want to work with him. He has to pay for that. And again, I, I was kidding a little bit, but it shows you the naivety that people have. Success is not, you know, spenders. Success is not an article in Forbes where you're buying advertising and they, you know, conveniently let you have an article. I've got a friend who's a college professor because he basically donates money to the school. No, to the class. So he donates money to the school basically so he could be a professor. Anyway, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob Black. Uh, Wildly appreciate everything you do. Talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.